Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. What is going on, New York Rangers fans? And welcome to episode 93 of the new Ice City Podcast. I'm your host, Vincent Mercagliano of the USA Today Network. And today we will be joined by another Vincent. That will be Vincent Trocek, who I had a chance to sit down and chat with for a bit after practice on Wednesday. Similar to the interview that you guys heard last month with Jimmy Vesey, where we went off the board a little bit, not so many questions about what's going on with the team right now, much more focused on trying to get to know Trocek a little bit off the ice, especially had some fun with that one. I think you guys will enjoy it. So you're going to hear from Trocek in just a little while, but first there's quite a bit to discuss because what do you know? Here we are a week after an episode that I think had a much different tone The Rangers have won four games in a row, the longest winning streak of the season for this team. And all of a sudden, the outlook, which was very bleak at this time last week and and a little bit before that as well, is suddenly much more optimistic. It's not all sunshine and roses. There's certainly still some concerns that still exist around that team. And we're going to get into all of that throughout the course of this show. It certainly hasn't always been pretty. Even Gerard Gallant admitted that today after Wednesday's practice. But can't really argue with the results. Wins are wins, and the Rangers have stacked four of those in a row. The best game, I think for sure, during this winning streak came in Vegas last week when the Rangers beat the Golden Knights by a score of 5-1. to one. The disclaimer, of course, is that the Knights were missing two of their best players, including Jack Eichel, in that game. But nonetheless, I thought that was a really well-played game from them. They had a little blip in the second period where they got into some penalty trouble. But other than that, it was certainly one of the best games the Rangers have played so far this season. They move on from there to Colorado, where, quite frankly, they did not play very well as a team, but they end up winning in the shootout because of Igor Shosturkin, who made 41 saves in that game. And I might be wrong. Maybe I'm not remembering something, but to me, that was probably his best game of the season. It felt a lot like last year when the Rangers had so many of those games where you felt like they didn't deserve to win, but the goalie carried them to the finish line. And that certainly happened against the defending Stanley Cup champions on Friday. And then they come home on Monday to play the New Jersey Devils. I'm honestly still not even sure how they won that game. The Rangers started incredibly poorly. The first 10 minutes or so of that game, they looked dead in the water. They looked flat. They looked like they had nothing going for them on that night, but they somehow, some way, come back to tie the game. They got two goals in a matter of seven seconds in the second period to tie the game, 
And then they ultimately win it in overtime on a nice goal where Artemi Panarin set up Philip Heedle. So all of a sudden now, what's happening with this team? It's like hard to wrap your head around considering the way that things were looking for not just a week, really about a month or so, all of November pretty much and, and into the beginning of December, where the team was really struggling and there were a lot of legitimate questions about the direction, questions about the coach, questions about the lineup, questions about all kinds of stuff with this team. And the thing is, if I'm being real with you guys, which I certainly always try to do, there's still plenty of problems that exist. I'm not going to sit here and make it out to be, okay, these four wins solved everything, because that is not the case. You look at the five-on-five offense, they had a good night from that perspective in Vegas, but it has dried up a bit since then, which has been a problem all season. So that is certainly still a concern. They still seem to have trouble keeping up with speedy teams like the Devils. The Devils, I thought, had the better run of play for the most part on Monday night. The Rangers just got some timely goals, and that's ultimately how they forced overtime and then won the game. But the Rangers still seem to be on their heels too much and don't have the foot speed, in my opinion, to hang with fast teams like that. Or you look at a team like Colorado when they're at full strength, which they weren't when the Rangers visited them last week. But when the Avs lineup is full, it's hard to envision this Rangers team keeping up with them. The turnovers also continue to be a glaring issue. That's cropped up, I don't know how many times recently. If you go back and look at a lot of the goals that the Rangers have allowed, not just during this winning streak, but well before that, you could almost always trace it back in some way, shape, or form to a turnover. So that's something that I know this coaching staff has harped on with them. It's something we've talked about on this show quite a bit throughout the season. Jacob Truba was right in the middle of that, had had himself a really rough first period against the Devils on Monday night. And this poor puck management, this tendency that they have to give the puck away in really inopportune situations, whether it's in the defensive zone or transitioning through the neutral zone, that then leads to odd man rushes or leads to easy scoring chances for the other team. That's been something that we continue to talk about, and I haven't seen too many signs of that getting better for the Rangers, despite the recent winning. You look at the lineup, even though they've been winning, they're still shuffling through combinations almost every single night. They did that again against the Devils on Monday. They had been going with that top line of Lafreniere, Zabanajad, and Kako, but it only lasted two and a half games, essentially, because toward the end of that first period against the Devils, and, and rightfully so in a lot of ways because the Rangers were playing terribly, Gallant once again throws the lines in a blender, and what comes out? Well, now you have Panarin, Zabanajad, and Barclay Gaudreau on the first line. And quite frankly, they didn't do much against the Devils, but they did reunite the kid line again. I feel like we've we've said that quite a few times in the last year, but the kid line, we think they're getting away from it, and then they come back to it again. And they did provide a spark in the Devils game. I will give them credit for that. Kako gets a really key goal to tie the game late in that second period. And they brought some energy. I thought immediately you saw that kid line get in on the four check, look like they all of a sudden had a little extra pep in their step from that move. So the Mika Panarin connection on the top line didn't really seem to work very well, but the kid line did provide a spark. 
And then they kept that third line intact with Chris Kreider, Vincent Trocheck, and Jimmy Vc. And I honestly didn't think that they were great for the previous few games, but they probably had their best night so far against the Devils. Kreider and Trocheck convert a two-on-one chance into a goal to sort of snap the Rangers out of their funk on Monday night. And it looks like they're going to continue with that line moving forward. I actually spoke to Trocheck about that, not in this interview that you're going to hear today, but recently. And, and he said he feels like that line is a good fit because all of those guys are North-South players who really like to get up and down the ice. And he feels like they're starting to build some continuity. So it does look like that line is going to stick. Gallant stuck with them on Monday against the Devils when he was changing all the other lines. But it's still, it just feels so disjointed. And, and quite honestly, it feels like Gallant doesn't really know where to turn right now. And he said this to us in these press conference settings. He said, I, I, I'm changing the lines too much. I'm tired of changing the lines, yet he keeps doing it. So it just feels like he doesn't even know what the right answer is right now as far as these line combinations go. And then... Last thing, I'm listing off all these concerns despite this four-game winning streak. The last thing is that there are still legitimate questions about the depth for this team, both up front at the forward position and also on defense. With Truba struggling, which he has been for most of the season, Braden Schneider, I think, has has played well and has gotten better over the course of the season. But the bottom pair is still a big question mark. You don't feel like Libor Hayek is the answer in that left-handed spot on the third pair. And it also feels like they're at least one defenseman short here. So the forwards could use more depth. The defense could use more depth. And that's not really an issue that's going to be able to be addressed until the trade deadline. If the Rangers are still in a position where they feel like they're in the playoff race and are willing to give up the assets it's going to require to address those positions. So there's still a laundry list of things here that we are going to continue to keep an eye on and that continue to be concerns for this team. It is far from perfect right now. But I will, to sort of bring things back to a positive point of view now, I will say this. We were saying a lot of these same things last season. The winning was there. The Rangers consistently won pretty much from the start of the season until the end of the season last year. But There were plenty of games and plenty of stretches where the overall quality of the hockey that they were playing was not up to snuff for a team that you would expect to be a contender. We all know that Igor Shosturkin carried this team through those bad stretches. Well, all of a sudden now, it's starting to feel a little bit more like what we saw last year because Igor has certainly picked up his game in recent weeks, I think his save percentage in the last three games is 948. So you're seeing him start to look a lot more like the Igor that you're used to. But on top of that, for all of the analytics and the statistical issues that the Rangers had last year and now have been showing up again in the past month, the one thing that we couldn't quantify with stats that was hard to put our finger on, but anybody who watched this team knew that it was a thing, was that clutch gene, that knack for finding ways to win, even when the odds were stacked against you. How many wins? I don't know off the top of my head, but I know it was a big number. How many wins did the Rangers have in comeback fashion last season? This year, 
for the first eight weeks of the season, that wasn't happening. They were falling behind and then they were losing the game. They weren't coming back or they were building leads. This was even worse. They were building leads and they were often blowing those leads. So it just felt like that it factor that the team had last year had dissipated. It wasn't there anymore for the opening quarter or so of this season. But all of a sudden, in the past week, these wins are resembling what we saw last season. We just talked about Monday. The Rangers did not play a great overall game. You could argue that they did not deserve to win that game and that the Devils, for the most part, were the better team. But when the Rangers needed to make a play in a timely spot in the game, they did it. They also did that in Colorado. They also did that in Vegas. They also did that to begin this winning streak when they came back against the St. Louis Blues after they looked woeful for the beginning portion of that game. So it's not something that I think a lot of people want to hang their hats on. It's not something that I think is tangible. It's hard if you're not around the guys in the locker room to to feel that emotion and what that means to them. But it really is amazing what a week like that can do for the morale and the confidence of the group. And that's something that now back having locker room access this year, you can feel it when you walk in there. You can sense it when you talk to the players. It doesn't solve all of their issues, but it's eased some of the pressure on the team. All of a sudden, guys are smiling a lot more. Guys are feeling better about themselves. Keandre Miller was saying it when we were talking to him after the game on Monday, they're coming to the rink with this feeling that they're never out of it, that no matter what happens, there's going to be highs throughout the game, there's going to be lows, but that if they stay the course, good things will happen for them. And that is a sentiment that we heard a lot last season. Again, this is like a a weird thing for people from the outside looking in to look at as a characteristic of a team or look at as a strength of the team. But there really, really, I believe at least, is something to it. When the vibes are good in the locker room and the guys have confidence in each other and they believe that they're never out of it, that mental effect can take form physically on the ice and it can lead to these comeback wins and it can lead to some of the weird, quirky things that we've seen happen in the past week where You're scratching your head afterwards about how it would happen, but they come out of it with a win. It's definitely, again, eased some of the pressure on the team. And I think it's also bought Gerard Gallant some time, if I'm being honest. Last week, we talked about the seats starting to get hot. And if they had a bad week on that road trip, then things would have really gotten interesting. But I think because of these four wins in a row... And because of the way that the team has responded and is now starting to collect points and and force their way back into the playoff picture, I think he's definitely going to get a chance to right the ship going into the new year. If in the next few weeks things start to snowball in the wrong direction again, then I think you could see that seat heat up again. But I think for now, definitely through the holidays and everything, they've gotten themselves some some runway. The leash is a little bit longer now. And I I think that they're going to stay the course with this coaching staff and see if they can continue to move things in the right direction. It's it's something to build on. They kept defying the odds last year and look where it took them. Now the question is going to be, 
will this just be a blip on the radar for a flawed team? Or can they take these positive vibes? Can they take this knack for finding ways to win? And can they parlay it into something bigger, which is what we saw them do last year? That's what we're going to find out in the coming weeks. And and that now is the main question for this team. Positive vibes alone aren't necessarily going to win you games. But last year, what we saw was they were winning when it looked like they shouldn't win. And they just became more and more confident as the year went on. And that ultimately led to them playing better. Of course, the move that they made at the trade deadline helped. Of course, having the best goalie in the world for the season helped. And they're going to need probably both of those things to be true. Again, they're going to need Igor to continue to play really well. And they're going to need to make some key moves at the trade deadline. But it's palpable in the locker room right now. Even Jacob Truba said it after practice on Wednesday. Guys are having more fun. Guys are believing in each other more and in themselves. And self-belief is a really powerful tool. So they've got to play better in a lot of different ways that we've gone over. But wins are wins. And at the end of the day, that is the most important thing. And if they can continue stacking these wins, you have to feel like they're going to continue to also get better as a team. So that's where we're at. It's been a roller coaster ride. Things are are very interesting with this team right now. Each podcast seems completely different from the last podcast, even though a week is all that goes by in between each episode. So it's pretty crazy. I'm sure we're going to dive into some more specifics and some specific players when I answer your Twitter questions at the end of the show. But right now, I want to take a pause and have a little fun and get to our interview with Vince Trocek. It is kind of weird saying we're going to get to an interview with Vince, but that's what we're going to do. So here it is. All right, here in the locker room with Vincent Trocek, one of the newest Rangers this season. And I guess that's probably a good place to start because you're uh, New York vibe so far. Like, have you had a chance to explore the city and see things that you'd like to? Or has it just been, you know, too much hockey to really d- sink your teeth in yet? Um, yeah, I've explored a little bit, not a whole lot. But we do, the schedule's been pretty busy and we live out in Rye, so um, I haven't been able to explore too much downtown. But I mean, I've been in the league for, for a while now. And I've, Every time we come here, I usually try to do something a little different than what I've done the year, the, the time before. So I've, I've been able to see enough of the city. you have anything on your bucket list that coming up you'd like to do? Um, I don't know if it's a bucket list. It's more just a, a list of restaurants that I want to try. Uh-huh, yeah. I want to get a, that Rayo's. That's on my on my list for sure. Yeah, there's, there's a million. I mean, you could get lost in it. There's a million different restaurants. All right, let's 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 do a little bit of hockey stuff here. As far as just like your upbringing, I know you grew up in Pittsburgh. Um, you have any favorite hockey memories growing up as a kid? Were you a Penguins fan or anything? Maybe when you were playing as a kid, like or even as an, as an NHL player, like what would be your favorite hockey memory for my like personal? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think probably World Juniors. We won World Juniors. Me and Jimmy actually in Troops um, won World Juniors in 2013 in uh, Ufa, Russia. That's probably one of my most exciting hockey memories. So you, you've known Jimmy and Jacob probably longer than anybody else here because of that? Me and Jimmy, I, I've known Jimmy since I was eight or nine. And, uh, his dad was our coach in our summer hockey league team, so um, I've known him for a long time. And Shrews as well. I, uh, I lived in Detroit for a while, 
from age 12 to 15, so I would play against him whenever he was, uh, he's a year younger, but uh, obviously cross paths. Biggest hockey influence, I don't know if it's a, a parent or a coach or like, who, who would you say over the course of your life has, has been the biggest hockey influence for you? Um, I mean, I guess there's two ways you could look at it. My favorite player growing up was Peter Forsberg, and I, I always tried to play like him growing up. Obviously, a lot bigger body than I am. Uh, and then my dad is probably the biggest influence um, off the ice, just from a support standpoint, and trying to get me to where I am today. Is, so I think he probably had had the biggest influence on my hockey career. Yeah, that's a pretty typical answer. Uh, so you said Forsberg was your favorite player. Did you have a favorite team? My favorite team was the Penguins. I grew up in Pittsburgh and uh, go back to Pittsburgh every summer now. Still, still home. So. Um, yeah, that was I was always a Lemieux Crosby fan. So, as far as locker room goes, you're getting to know a lot of the guys now. Obviously, getting to play with a lot of the guys. A couple quick hitters on uh, like some some traits around the room. Who would you say is the fastest skater on the team? Cries, cries, yeah. Uh, strongest player on the team. Weight room, even you know, like who who, who jumps out to you in those situations? Cries mm, or goat. Uh-huh. A lot of people say a lot of people say Gautier. Um Who is the funniest guy in the room? Uh, I'll give Laugh the nod there. Laugh is pretty funny. He looks like a guy. He like he likes to kind of make fun of himself a little bit sometimes he too. Does, and he's, his accent makes it funnier. <laughs> um, who is the most competitive? Whether it's hockey or like when you guys are playing cards or whatever, who's the most competitive? Uh, said Lindy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get that impression too. All right, uh, for you, a couple quick ones. You mentioned restaurants you want to go to. Do you have a favorite food? Stuffed peppers. Stuffed peppers. I Italian, but yeah, stuffed peppers is my go-to meal. I made I made a batch of those a couple weeks ago. Yeah. I love those. My grandmother always made those growing up. I'm sure you had a similar. Same, yeah, and my mom still makes them anytime she's in town, or uh, my wife will make them if I really ask. She's not the biggest fan, but. I beg. <laughs> uh, do you have music? Are you a big music guy? Favorite band or anything like that? Favorite band. I mean, I like all types of music, so I guess it's depending on the genre that day or the mood I'm in, but um, I listen to a lot of country. Morgan Wallen's one of my favorites right now. Chris Stapleton. Um, a couple of newer guys that I've been listening to. Uh, Matt Stell, George Burge, up-and-comers. Good music. What about like off day or off season? What, what are your like hobbies when you're not doing hockey stuff? Well, I have two kids, so <laughs> yeah. my hobbies rely on whatever they want to do most of the time in the summer. Or, I mean, my own personal hobby is golf. I golf as much as I possibly can. It's a lot harder when you're a dad, though. I found that out recently. Yeah. <laughs> As the, I still manage. I get, I'm not going to sit here and say I don't golf. Yeah. I still golf a good amount for a dad of two. The, the dad stuff like uh, you know I'm sure it's difficult with all the travel and stuff I, you know I'm experiencing that a little bit myself not quite to the same level as you guys but um, like what are some of the most rewarding things for you uh, when it comes to being a dad I know you have a couple kids I mean it's just every day it's something different it's just um, little things um, my son's in preschool now just him learning the ABC's proud moment seeing him skate uh you just go on the ice. It's a proud moment for me. You just start playing hockey with the Rye Rangers. Um, I'll bring him out here, and just every time he gets on the ice, he's a little bit better, and just his passion for the game and 
kind of brings things into perspective, makes you uh, remember why you play the game. And my daughter's two now, and she's a firecracker. She's a little nuts, but um, she's always in a good mood and uh, puts a smile on me and my wife's face every day. The daughter is the one you were chasing around at that team party. I was chasing them both around, but she's definitely the nuttier of the two. She, she's tougher to contain. All right, last one. If, uh, if there was a zombie apocalypse and you needed somebody to help you survive, anybody on the team, like who would you think of as, as a guy that would help you get through that? That's a tough one. I think I'd take Troops with me. <laughs> yeah, I feel like Troops could help. Yeah, yeah. I've, I, his name's come up a few times. All right, man, I appreciate it. Thanks for doing this. Yep, no problem. Thank you. It's going to be a big magazine piece. Uh, it's going to be a podcast piece, Sam. There you go. That was Sam Rosen, you guys heard there at the end. He overheard our conversation and came over, I think, to kind of find out what was going on and what the heck we were talking about. I thought it was pretty funny, and I thought you guys would get a kick out of it. So we left that in there. At the end, of course, Sam is the best. You guys have heard him on the podcast before. And, and he's always hanging out in the locker room and always always interested in getting involved in, in a good conversation. So <laughs> a little appearance from Sam there at the end. But anyway, thanks to the other Vince for agreeing to do that interview and sitting down for a bit with me after practice on Wednesday. It is very much appreciated. I, too, am a big Stuffed Peppers fan, as you heard. So we're going to have to compare our recipes at some point. Definitely sounded like he ate some familiar cuisine as me while growing up. So I I think we can probably figure out why as to that. But yeah, he's a guy that I think is increasingly becoming more comfortable in the locker room. And I was glad to sort of try to get to know him a little bit more, at least let you guys get to know him a little bit more in that kind of a setting. So with that, we're going to turn our attention to this week's questions. And I want to make sure that I mention before we start that I did do a written mailbag this week and got a lot of questions submitted for that. So what I did was I answered a whole bunch of them for the written mailbag, which you guys can go find on loha.com slash sports slash rangers or northjersey.com or any of our other sites in the region. And that would be addressed topics like Jacob Truba, Barclay Gaudreau, Vitaly Kratzoff, Artemi Panarin. We even talked about who's on the naughty list, who's on the nice list. So we had a little Christmas fun in there as well. So a lot of different topics were addressed in that mailbag. So what I wanted to do for this week's episode was get to some of the questions that I didn't answer in the mailbag. So give you guys a little more variety and hopefully you'll be able to read some of the answers and then you'll hear the rest of them here. So since we just heard from Vincent Trocheck, I thought this would be a good question to start with for this segment. And that comes from at Touch of Gray, who wrote, scale of one to 10, evaluate year one of the Trocheck contract so far. My honest answer on that is probably a five, I would say. I don't think it's been great, but I certainly don't think it's been terrible. I touched on this a little bit in the written mailbag as well in the question about Panarin. 
I think one of the topics that interestingly has not been brought up a, a lot, at least from fans that I've heard from, is Ryan Strom and how much, at least in my opinion, Artemi Panarin is missing him. Because when they went out and signed Trocek, the opinion that I heard from multiple people around the league is that Trocek is a more complete player. I I didn't think, and I don't think a lot of people thought he was going to be a huge upgrade over Ryan Strom, but he was considered a slight upgrade over Ryan Strom because he's a better skater, he's a better defensive player, he's definitely better on faceoffs, he plays with a little more physicality, better on the PK. There's a lot of things when you look at his overall body of work that you could say, well, he does this better than Strom. He does that better than Strom. He brings more versatility because of the, for lack of a better term, 200-foot kind of player that he is. And he also put up some decent points. His goals, if you look at the last handful of years, are a little bit higher than Strom. His assists are lower, but point-wise, they're not that far off from each other. So you add all those things up, and you could understand why the Rangers were willing to go two extra years and about 600 or so thousand dollars more per year to sign Trocheck. But the one unknown with all of that was how is he going to mesh with Artemi Panarin because you knew that was a known commodity with Strom and Panarin when Strom was here. So far, that hasn't worked out great. And Artemi Panarin has been pretty honest about this too, you know, that they were still kind of working through things and hadn't quite clicked yet. And we've criticized Gerard Gallant for a lot of his lineup decisions, I think deservingly so. But one thing I will say that you have to give him some credit for is when things weren't working with Panarin and Trocek, I think there had to be some awareness or temptation to not break that up because Trocek is a guy that you just gave this big contract to, and he's going to be here for six and a half more years. So demoting him, although you know the Rangers won't paint it as a demotion, but the fact is he was moved down to the third line in favor of Philip Heedle, and that was a pretty bold move, I think, on Gerard Glant's part. You're putting the younger player, the lesser paid player, higher up in the lineup, giving him a chance to play with your most dynamic offensive weapon in Panarin, and you're doing it at the expense of a guy who you just paid a pretty significant amount of money to bring into New York. So I do have to give some credit there because I think that that was a move that was for the betterment of the team. I think it was pretty clear that things with Trocek and Panarin weren't working, at least the way that you hoped that they would be early on. There's a chance that they go back to Panarin and Trocek at some point. And honestly, you would think and assume that at some point they probably should give them another look together. But I think in the here and now, it was the right move to, to get away from that. Now, of course, as I'm saying this, Hedl and Panarin got a handful of games together. And now it looks like based on what we saw at the end of the Devils game and based on what we saw at practice on Wednesday, that Panarin's actually going to start Thursday's game against Toronto on the top line with Mika Zibanejad. That never seems to last for more than a game or two when they put those guys together. So we'll see about it this time around. But I liked 
the idea of playing Panarin with Heedle. When I spoke to Panarin about it the other day, Panarin, he seemed very intrigued by the possibilities. He talked about Heedle's speed. He talks about how he's able to open space for Panarin to operate on the ice because of the way that he can push the pace with his speed. He talked about Heedle being a guy that he liked the possibilities off the rush with, that he knew that he had the speed to keep up and that he would be there to support Panarin because you know when Panarin has these odd man rush situations, he wants options to, to pass the puck because, of course, he's a pass-first player. We all know that very well from watching him for the last handful of years. And... The other thing that he likes about Heedle is Heedle's a guy that when he gets the puck and he has an opportunity to shoot, unlike a lot of the other forwards on this team, Heedle pulls the trigger. Heedle's a guy that is not shy about shooting the puck. We saw that when he scored the overtime winner against the Devils, which, oh, by the way, was set up by Panarin. So I thought, at least in my opinion, it would have been a good thing to let them play together for a few weeks and see how it went. Now Gallant's getting away from that again. So I went from giving him credit for one move to now taking some credit away for the next move. But the point of this is about Trocheck, And the reason I'm giving him a five, the biggest knock so far, is that the idea initially was to play him with Panarin. That hasn't worked out. It definitely looks to me like Panarin had more chemistry with Strom and in some ways is missing what was not only his longtime line mate, but one of his best friends on the team. But I do think that recently you've seen things trending in the right direction for Trocheck. I don't know exactly off the top of my head, but I know in the last five or six games, really since the calendar turned to December, that his point production has been better. He had primary assist in the game against New Jersey on Monday, and he also did have a goal. He scored a power play goal to make it three to two as well. So he had a couple of really big points in the game against the Devils and he's gotten some points recently. And I mentioned earlier in the show that I asked him about playing with Kreider and VC and he seems to like how that is looking and how that's feeling so far. So while the the salary, you can look at that and say, well, that's a lot for a third line center. I think the Rangers are looking at these three lines when Trocek's playing in that spot. It's pretty interchangeable. And so far, at least in the last couple games, it's looked like he's more comfortable. And again, you look at the overall skill set, and I think there's more to like about his game in totality than there is with Strom. Just the one thing that you are a little concerned about as far as how Trocek gets fit in is that it did not look great with Panarin, at least through those first handful of weeks that they got to play together. So that's why I would give him a five at this point. All right. Let's get to our next question, which comes from Ken Hunt, who wrote, do you get the sense that Gallant and his staff use analytics? If so, to what extent? Now, this seemed to become a talking point last week, and I want to make sure that I give the proper context here because I think some people did take it and run with it in a direction that at least my intention was not from the one tweet that I sent about this. This is a topic that I've asked around about a lot, whether it's Rangers or elsewhere around the league. And I was asking Gallant specifically in that situation about what the numbers show from the line combinations that he had 
mostly in the first month of the season when Capo Caca was playing with Zabanajad and Kreider and Alexi Lafreniere was playing with Panarin and Trocek. Because if you look at a lot of the analytics and the underlying numbers, those lines, at least from a scoring chance standpoint and expected goals standpoint, were by far the best that the Rangers have had this season. I still think you can make the argument that the Rangers looked the best, even though they weren't always winning, they looked the best with those lines that they had. Galant got away from that. He's shuffled the lines a ton in the last month or so. He has not gone back to those combinations, which I find kind of puzzling and curious. So that day I asked him what he thought about those lines when they were together. And he admitted that he thinks that that was probably the best the team looked. So again, kind of strange that he hasn't gone back to it. And he also said that he's aware of the numbers that show that they were a really good possession line, especially the Kako, Zabanajad, Kreider line. So he made mention of that after I'd asked the question. And I, I said to him, you know, these are the numbers that we see on the publicly available sites with the data that we have at our fingertips here on the, on the internet. And I asked him if that matched up with the data that they have. And he said, in some cases, yes. He did note that the data that they see on publicly available sites, which again, I use all the time. They're great resources like Natural Stat Trick and Evolving Hockey and MoneyPuck.com. Those are probably the three that I use the most. He said that sometimes the data is close, but other times those sites tend to be a little more giving when it comes to high danger scoring chances. Like a lot of things that those sites will mark as a high danger scoring chance, when the Rangers do it themselves, they're not necessarily marking that as a high danger situation. So he basically said that they're a little more lenient or a little more rewarding on the publicly available sites versus the data that the Rangers keep. So people seem to take that as Gallant saying, well, what we have is better or we have different data that's justifying these lineup decisions that we're making. No, that's not the case. He admitted that what they have, just like the publicly available stuff, showed that Kako on the top line with Zabanajad and Kreider was a better combination than anything that they've used recently. So he wasn't disputing that. I want to make that clear. He did say that the data that they have is different in some ways. And that's a reality that I think, from my understanding of talking to people around the league, is pretty well accepted. And I can even give you guys an example here. The publicly available stuff is directly coming from the NHL, which notoriously is flawed and is a little, can be off as far as the shot tracking. Basically what it's showing is shot locations. And based on those shot locations, sites like Natural Stat Trick, et cetera, are generating, okay, the shot was from the slot or the shot was from the net front or whatever the situation might be. And it's generating that as a high danger chance. But they're not actually tracking the data themselves. They don't have people manually inputting this or manually looking or taking into consideration the situation. Like, 
Was it an odd man rush? Who was taking the shot? Is this a player that excels in this particular area or that particular area or not? Because I think certain times, if you're just looking at shot location, it might look good, but then you figure out, you know, where the defenders were positioned or how many offensive players were in position to be an option on that play or which player was taking the shot. Is it a guy who scores three goals a year or is it a guy who scores 40 goals a year? That sort of stuff. The, the more sophisticated systems, which, for example, Steve Valaquette, who runs ClearSight Analytics, former goalie for the Rangers, broadcaster for MSG. You guys, I'm sure most of you know Valley quite well. You look at ClearSight Analytics, which is a much more sophisticated system, and they're actually hired by several teams and collect data on their behalf. I know that when I quickly, after the game, went to natural stat trick against the Devils the other night, they credited the Devils with 17 high danger scoring chances. But then you look at what Valley puts out, because he always tweets out his own charts the day after the game, they only had the Devils with eight high danger scoring chances. So that actually backs up what Gallant was saying, that a lot of the publicly available sites give out a lot more high danger scoring chances than what the teams have. So 17 versus 8 is a pretty notable discrepancy. Oftentimes, I found it's closer than that, but there are nights, like Monday, where there's a pretty wide gap there. So I think it all needs to be taken with a grain of salt. It all needs to be put into context. I absolutely think that the stuff that we find on the publicly available sites is valuable. I use it in my stories all the time. But none of it is the be-all, end-all. Even the private stuff that the teams have, there's a lot more that goes into it. And the, getting back to the original question here from Ken, as far as do Gallant and his staff use analytics to make their decisions, I think to an extent, yes. But quite honestly, I think that Gallant is the type of coach who works much more off of the eye test, who works much more off of his gut, what he's seeing and what he's feeling than he does based on the stats. And I also think there's different levels to this as well. Like what the Rangers in their front office keep track of, they make that data available to Gallant, absolutely, but it's up to him what he does with it. And I think a lot of times that data ends up being used more when they're scouting or when they're looking at players, whether it's draft, free agency, trade options, all that kind of stuff. And it's also what they use to evaluate their own players. But again, I think the analytics department and the front office for the Rangers use it for one purpose, and the data is available to Gallant if he wants it, but it's up to him to make the lineup and do with it what he will. So if you're following, I hope I'm not getting too confusing or deep in the in the weeds here, but I do know the Rangers have expanded their analytics department. I do know that they have upped their efforts as far as player tracking data goes. So... I think they're doing some pretty cool stuff there behind the scenes. But as far as Gallant is concerned, it's his lineup and he's going to make the choices that he makes regardless of what that data from the analytics department says. And I also know that Gallant and his coaching staff, because he's made mention of this, they track their own scoring chances too. Like that's the main thing that you'll hear him talk about. And that's one of the main things I think when they watch the film the day after a game that they're doing on their own manually is Gallant and his coaching staff, they are actually putting down check marks of their own for when they consider something a high danger chance. So you've got 
the more sophisticated models like Steve Valaket's ClearSight Analytics tracking scoring chances. You've got the public models, which are taking data from the NHL based on shot location and tracking scoring chances. And then you've got the coaching staff sitting there in an office and doing it manually on their own based on their own opinion of what they're watching. So that's why the data can look different in all of these different places. But I don't think Gallant's point in that setting was to say, well, I don't think that Kako Zibanejad Kreider line was as good as you think it was. He's just saying, I think that what we consider a scoring chance doesn't always match up with what we see online. And ultimately, that's not going to dictate his lineup decisions. He's going to make lineup decisions based on his own, again, what he's seeing and what he's feeling, which we can certainly debate if that's the right way to do it. We can certainly debate if not just Gallant, I think around the league, a lot of coaches are a little more dismissive of this stuff than you would like them to be. But I don't think that this was his way of saying, oh, the Rangers have some top secret hidden data that's so much smarter than everybody else's. I mean, I do, again, think that it's more sophisticated data, but I don't think that he was trying to say, well, we think that Kako line stunk. That, that was not the, the purpose of what I think was being said there. I think, if anything, what it's showing is they're probably not using the data as much as they should. So it doesn't mean that the data is wrong or doesn't exist. It just means that, again, it's his lineup and he's going to do with it what he will, regardless of what the analytics might say. And that's kind of that old school hockey coach mentality that I think is still quite prevalent in the league. So with that... It's kind of bouncing all over the place there, but I hope it made some sense. Let's get to our final question, which comes from at Joseph Tucarone, or Tucarone. Hope I'm saying that right, Joseph. My apologies. He wrote, Bettman's announcement of a $1 million increase in the cap next season is concerning. The Rangers have $68.8 million locked up in only 12 players, Six restricted free agents to resign, but four big ones Heedle, Lafreniere, Keandre, and Kratzoff can't fit the above and fill in a roster with 14.6 million. Who's in and who's out? Well, just to get everybody up to speed, what Joseph is talking about here is they had the NHL Board of Governors meetings this week, and while Gary Bettman, the league commissioner, had come out. I don't know, a few weeks or a month ago, and raised the possibility that if the players could finish paying off their escrow before the end of the season, that there was a chance the salary cap would jump up four or five million dollars next season. But the update as of this week is that it's not looking like the players are on pace to pay off the escrow, which means, as they originally projected, the cap is probably, it could change, but probably only going to go up by $1 million next season. That's bad news for pretty much everybody, but the Rangers are near the top of that list because they're a team that has a lot of new contracts to give out next season and they'll have limited cap space to do it. So an extra three or $4 million in cap space would have been a big, big difference for them. So now that we're expecting the salary cap to only go up by $1 million, what does that mean for them? So I pulled up some quick numbers here myself, Joseph. It's a little bit different than what you laid out. I have the Rangers with 
I'm going to give them 13 players under contract next year. That's going to include, we can kind of use Brennan Offman as a placeholder, but maybe it's Will Cooley or another prospect. Regardless, one of these young guys that the Rangers have among their top prospects is almost certainly going to have to make the lineup just from a financial standpoint because it's a cheaper option for them. It could end up being multiple, but I'm going to put Offman on there for now. Plus, you've got Panarin, Kreider, Zabanajad, Trocek, Kako, and Gaudreau under contract. Defensemen, you've got Lindgren, Fox, Truba, and Schneider under contract. And then you obviously have Igor in goal. So I'm looking at a roster right now of at least 12, I think we can call it 13 players, with roughly $16.7 million in available cap space to fill out the remaining spots on that roster. So we're talking, they've got 16, let's call it 16 and a half million dollars to sign at least seven, more likely eight or nine players. So that's not going to be easy. The one thing that's kind of working in the Rangers favor right now is the two big guys that you thought could be the most expensive, Keandre Miller and Alexi Lafreniere. They haven't exactly been lighting it up this season, especially from a point production standpoint. So that should keep their price tags relatively low. I still think Keandre is probably going to be the most expensive out of that group because of the usage. I mean, his agent, at least if I were his agent, I would be pointing to the fact that he's been a top four defenseman for you for three years. He plays huge minutes. The point production, especially in the last handful of games, has gone up. I think he's got four points in his last four games. So Ryan Lindgren, for example, makes $3 million. I think that's like the floor for Keandre. I think he's probably going to cost more than that. Lafreniere is a really tricky one because it's the guy who was a former number one overall pick. But the point production really hasn't been there. So I'm sure the Rangers will use that as a bargaining tool. You know, not, I've heard people ask, do they want to keep his point total down? Is that why they're not playing him on the power play? I don't necessarily think that that's a driving force for them. Obviously, they want him to be as productive as possible for the good of the team. And if this team is going to go anywhere, they need their young players to produce. We've talked about that multiple times. But from a negotiating standpoint, you know, if he only ends up with 25, 30 points this season, that's going to make it harder for him to ask for a really big average annual value. So if you could get Keandre and Lafreniere under contract, combined for somewhere around six or seven million dollars in total that would be huge for the rangers because then you'd still have 10 million ish to go out and do whatever else you need to do now again they're going to have a lot of spots to fill so you you know you get a million dollar player here a million dollar player there it's going to chip away at that number pretty quickly but the real wild card in all of this is philip hedel because I think he's outplayed Lafreniere for sure. I think he's outplayed a lot of the forwards on this roster. And he's already a guy who's over $2 million right now. I think he's 2.3. So he's going to be looking for a raise from that, especially if you're using him as your second line center for a big portion of the season. What is his price tag going to be? That's a huge variable in this. Because if he's looking for 4 or $5 million a season, it's going to be really tough for the Rangers to afford that. But losing him would be huge because then what happens to their center depth? You've got Zabanajad, you've got Trocek, and then you're pretty much raising your hands and saying, I don't know, you're shrugging at that point. So Hedl, 
from a positional standpoint, is really, really important for the Rangers. If you lose him, you have to you have to replace him with somebody. And is there anybody out there that's going to cost, I don't know, let's say three or four million dollars that, that's going to be better than him? That's going to be really, really hard to find. So Hedl is a huge wild card in this whole thing because I, I think he's become increasingly important to this team. The injury stuff is a little concerning. He does seem to come out of the lineup more than you would like. But when he's healthy, he's become a really high-quality player. He was awesome, awesome for them in the playoffs last year. So he's proven that he can perform on the big stage. And and this is a valuable guy for the Rangers. So in an ideal world, they'd be able to keep all three of those guys, but then they're not going to have much money left over. And if they have to sacrifice one of them, even though Hedl has outplayed Lafreniere so far this season – Lafreniere, again, was the number one overall pick in the draft a couple of years ago. I have a hard time seeing the Rangers letting him go. Could they entertain trade offers for Hedl? Uh, it's, it's a really, really tricky, tricky spot for them. So I think the way the rest of the season goes will dictate a lot of that. Again, if, if any of those guys take off and really raise their price tags, that complicates things more for the Rangers. It's kind of a, a good problem to have because you'd like to see them take off over the course of the rest of the season. But if they're all asking for three, four million dollars at a minimum per season, that's going to eat up that $16.5 million in cap space really, really quickly. As far as Kratzoff, he looks by far the most likely to be the odd man out. They're barely playing him as it is. That probably would make him pretty cheap to keep, but how much longer can you keep dragging this along if if you clearly don't have faith in the guy? And right now it looks like Gerard Gallant does not have a lot of faith in Vitaly Kratzoff. So I would think he would be the most likely to be gone. I think even though he hasn't said anything like this, I think a change of, change of scenery might be appreciated from him to go somewhere where he can play more regularly than what we've seen with the Rangers so far. So Kratzoff, I would think if I'm ranking those guys, would be the most likely to leave then Hedl, then uh, kind of a toss-up between Miller and Lafreniere. I don't see either one of them going anywhere. I mean, if you were going to trade one of those guys, things would really have to go downhill for the rest of the season, and and the organization would have to come to the conclusion that they need some kind of a major shakeup. It's not out of the question for sure, but at this point, it feels unlikely. So that's how I would rank things there. But again, this is a tricky situation because – you, you want these guys to do really well. You want them to all of a sudden make a jump in their development. But if they do that from a salary cap perspective, it's going to make things really difficult on the Rangers next season. So certainly not good news for them that the cap is likely to only go up by $1 million next season. It, it's, just a, it's just a bad situation. It, it really, really stinks because it's bad for the players It keeps their salaries down, which stinks for them, quite frankly. It's bad for the teams because these teams are forced to make really difficult decisions and they develop players and then they can't afford to pay them and they have to let guys go. And, you know, there's not much continuity there because you're constantly having to make these decisions about who am I going to get rid of because I can't afford everybody. And it stinks for the fans because you'd like to see all these players stick around for a while and you'd like to see these good teams have a chance to stay together and make multiple runs but this current salary cap era and especially the flat cap era that resulted from the pandemic it's just 
it's just not good for anybody involved. So anyway, we'll get more into that, I'm sure, as we get closer to the offseason. We'll wrap it up with that question. I hope you guys enjoyed this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Vincent Trocheck. Glad we were able to make that one happen. I'll be back next week. I think I already have a pretty good guest lined up for next week, so that should be fun. Get a little more of a league-wide perspective, I'll say, and probably talk about some of the salary cap stuff, probably talk about some trade possibilities, so a little tease for you there. Until then, everybody enjoy the rest of your week. Rangers have a game against Toronto on Thursday before they go back on the road over the weekend, so stay tuned for all of that. Everybody stay healthy, be well. Hope you guys are buying your Christmas presents. Don't wait too long on that. I've made a couple mistakes in that regard myself, so maybe we'll get more done tonight. But in the meantime, enjoy the rest of your week, and we'll talk to you next week. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.